Welcome to Mental Health Hour, the podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Kayla. And you all just missed her hopping her elbow off at the table. Yeah, it was really sore. I'm still kind of thinking about it. It was really it. funny. <laughs> I mean, the, the noise that was, it was, it was really, really good. Um, yeah, so we're back. We're back. Um, thanks so much for all the feedback from last week's episode. We really appreciate it. Um, and today we've, we've, I suppose we're going to talk about something a little different, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's kind of hard, you know, getting back into the flow of it, like we were saying last week. But um, I suppose we're we're quite um, what would you say informal in the way we kind of approach things. Mm. So we said, look, we'll take empathy and we'll run with it and we'll see where the conversation goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of we big time wanted to talk about empathy versus kind of sympathy, didn't we? Yeah, I suppose it's something that we talk about a lot when we deliver suicide intervention training. Um, it's something we talk a lot about when we're in the college setting in in social care and stuff like that um, just because we see it every day in the work that we do Um, and I always kind of say to people I always assumed that I knew the difference between empathy and sympathy and I actually didn't um, Mm. up until a few years ago I thought I did but I I really truly didn't Um, so yeah I think it's an interesting topic yeah, I think it's something that should have actually been taught in schools. Mm. The difference between like because even as social care, you know, I suppose when we were going through the the educational piece of becoming a social care practitioner, um, it was only in the latter parts we learned the difference, wasn't it? And that was a shock for us. Yeah, it was. And it's not one of these things that you really sit down and you learn about in college or in school. Like they don't sit you down and say, right, what is empathy, blah, blah, blah. It's only kind of when you're exploring different things. I know for me, um, and people are always sick of hearing me talk about Brene Brown, but it was Brene Brown that actually solidified it for me. Mm. Um, We try and use kind of excerpts from her work um, when we teach about suicide. And there's a great video. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. It's a short video on YouTube and it's Empathy versus Sympathy by Brene Brown. Um, It's really funny as well, which kind of, I think it helps people remember the message. Yeah, it's a lovely style little video. And like I say, like we use it every single time we teach suicide intervention skills. And I'm not sick of that video yet. Mm, It's like I still engage with it every time I watch it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, she's some nice quotes as well. I know there's some you want to read out, Kayla, isn't it? Yeah, so I suppose to, to start off, it's... Brene Brown says empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. So empathy is connecting to the emotions that underpin an experience. And I think that one is really important Mm. because when we do talk about suicide intervention and being empathic and having empathy, um, people might say, yeah, but empathy, you know, you can't empathize with every situation that every person has ever gone through. Um, True, you can't with the situation but you can empathize with the feeling you can yeah or an element of the feeling yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. so like if somebody's having the worst day of their life we're not going to compare my worst day with your worst day but I know how I felt on my worst day Mm. and that's the part that I'm going to empathize with that's the part that I can connect with you on I think the last thing anyone wants you to do in a situation is to come and try and solve the problem or go do you know what you need to do now? What they mm. actually want is someone empathetic listening, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think that's like we find that time and time again, night after night. And Definitely. It's because my solution is going to be different to your solution. And I know when I'm having an issue, a lot of the time I know what the solution is. I don't need somebody else to come and tell me what it is. Um, 
And it's usually not about the solution. It's usually I'm struggling with the feelings. I'm struggling with the discomfort piece mm. of this is happening and I feel like crap. Yeah. It's it's not the actual solution or problem solving skills that I struggle with. And I think a lot of people are like that. Mm. And I think maybe I, I definitely think there's a lack of self-awareness um, mm. among a lot of people that might have gone down the practitioner route or the social care route or the therapist route. Um, so like it's not again like I know because I'm just childhood obsessed mm. but I think it's something that should be drilled you know not drilled but taught the kids in, in schools and, and even parents kind of you know the way now they're, everyone's encouraged to you know get kids to identify their different emotions and to name them and yeah. you know and to maybe say yeah it's really good you empathised with your friend there you know you told him that someone took your toys before and you know what that felt like mm. um, and I think having that language and carrying it through then into adulthood would allow for what you're saying the type of empathetic interventions and yeah I think do you know what I think kids are really good at empathy I think they're a lot better at empathy than we are as adults um I think somehow we lose because I'm just thinking back on situations just when you started talking about kids and and emotions and I know I've seen children like when they see a classmate for example something happens and they're feeling left out I've often seen children connect with that feeling quicker than an adult would. Mm. For some reason, it's it's fascinating to watch, but I know I've seen children that went, say, Joe was feeling sad, and you remember when I felt sad, so I gave him a hug. Yeah, like, that's yeah, empathy yeah. at its most basic kind of... Um, and I think somewhere along the lines, as we grow older, we kind of lose that. I don't know mm. what it is. I don't know when exactly it happens. But it does change into sympathy. We we kind of rushed into this world where it's like it was okay to feel sympathy towards people. So like, tell us about sympathy then. So what's... Well, for me, sympathy is feeling for and empathy is feeling with. Yeah, huge difference. Like. Yeah, massive difference. So like, you know, I've, I'd often would have heard growing up um, be thankful because there's these other people out there that don't have as much as you and sure God help them. That's mm. the Irish way, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah. ah, sure God help them. And that's, it's coming from a good place, but it's a bit, it's very disconnected. If you listen to the language, God help them. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's empathy is definitely feeling with. Absolutely. And it feels different when somebody empathizes with me. Mm. Yeah, it hits different, doesn't yeah, it? it? it does, kinda, yeah. It sinks somewhere and you kind of go... And sometimes people don't even have to say it to you. I think no. one look, you know, they empathise with you. You know, that long blink or... Yeah. You know, in particular, if someone's um, going through a bereavement to do with suicide or something like that, mm-hmm. and where a lot of people might be uncomfortable around meeting them afterwards and might cross the road, you could have someone that empathises with them, you know, that could just make eye contact and just, you know, you know straight away, they get it. Yeah, it's, it is. It's definitely a connecting piece. Mm. And it's following through on the connection. Like you said, sometimes you don't even have to say anything to empathise with someone. Um, And I think that's a really good example where you brought up suicide bereavement because we do know that when somebody dies by suicide, the grief is very different. Um, Mm. It's a very different experience. And especially we hear time and time again how maybe neighbours, extended family and friends don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, and that's not from a bad place. But what we hear a lot is that I didn't want to upset them mm. by saying something. And what people who are bereaved by suicide say time and time again, I'm already upset. Yeah. You, you can't, can't upset this worse. Me. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and I think we always have to try and remind ourselves 
if the death had been by any other cause, would we sympathise with the person? Would we go and acknowledge the loss? Mm. Yes, we probably would. Um, it's the same around baby loss and stuff, isn't it? Like, oh, big time. To be honest, any any tragic loss, I think, um, I think an expected loss. Sometimes yeah. we have a, a kind of a routine here in Ireland that we all go through, and you go. We're and quite you good at it, though. Is yeah, yeah. Um, internationally, we're one of the best mm. to kind of deal with that, so to speak. Yeah, we are. Um, but when you look at, I suppose baby loss or mm. if you look at those kind of things um, I suppose it's not as um, what would you say kind of mapped out for us and it kind of inside we panic a bit when we see people we do and you know what I often think about this do you think it's something got to do with superstition I always feel like it's a superstitious kind of a thing maybe, maybe not like I'm not a superstitious person but I still do because it things were explained to me in a very superstitious way growing up years ago that I still kind of hold on to a little bit of that sometimes How do you by mean accident. Now, like, I'm kind of lost. Um, so I was raised Catholic. Okay. I now identify as an atheist. I'm not religious. Sometimes when I do things, or when I say things, I do get a little bit of Catholic guilt. Oh yeah, Catholic guilt is, is it's real. real. It's very like, real. And I know we joke about it and it can be funny at times, but there's other sides to it that you're kind of thinking, God, it's not really funny. Like it's your schemas are, are kind of all over the place with it. But I think it's the same superstition wise. Like I've often heard the phrase specifically with suicide. Um, when I was growing up as a small child, somebody would die by suicide and it was may it never come knocking at our door mm. kind of a thing. And it was like if we spoke about it it could come knocking kind of a thing or you know how years ago people were afraid to use the word cancer in case somebody that they loved or somebody close to them um, would suddenly be ill with cancer. I think like it is kind of places a curse on the other person is it or what? Um, I don't know what it is. I've never felt that way but I just from being a child and growing up around people I often heard phrases like that uh, may it never darken our door or mm. Uh, you never know when it's going to come knocking or I don't know is it I remember going to graveyards and thinking if I don't bless myself like 10 times yeah someone near me is going to die mm. you know now I didn't know at the time that was probably childhood anxiety as well to a degree yeah but there was obviously that whole thing of being a sinner the guilt around it you know yeah. that kind of stuff I suppose you do hear a lot of that stuff and as a kid you hone in on it don't you definitely I know similar to yourself when I was a child um I know we all explore, don't even lie and say that you didn't. We all explore with bad language as a small child. I've never cursed in my life. Don't start with me. But you know, like small children and you do it outside of earshot of your parents or anybody kind of older, you know, and you try and be really cool and you say a curse word in front of your friend when you're like seven and you think yeah, you're yeah, a yeah. badass. Um, I know that whenever I did do that, and it's a very vivid memory, internally I was screaming going, oh my God. I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm yeah. sorry, God. You know what I mean? Like, or thinking about your first holy confession, mm. your first confession, it's not holy confession. Um, thinking of all the little sins. And when I look back, like, I just feel so sorry for myself. It's like, you didn't have any sins at all, you little pudding, like. You're your a great little, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But you know, like. I was making up the best of sins. Yeah. I punched my brother, I slapped my brother. I and hit you my didn't brother. Was, My brother was, like, named in every episode of confession but you didn't actually hit him like I hit him a good few songs okay, like right. when I was small yeah. <laughs> so we, used to have, we used to have boxing gloves like yeah. we'd have a glove each and we'd just go for it do you know what I mean yeah but you talk about it like it was equal like your brother was 
a lot younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was like I suppose it's gone off the track a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, like empathy. Like the other thing I think of with empathy is, uh, especially with the research, child trauma research and stuff, um, and everything we're reading is you know the one good adult or mm. good adults in your life but i hate that term by the way good adult i'm like okay, I, I don't why? like it i don't know it gives me a bit of you know what is a good adult i don't like a good bad it kind of okay it, so you don't like the label i don't like the label good or bad okay. to be honest with you well, i think everyone you is like? different i'm not sure i might have to come back to you on the next mm-hmm. next episode but um i do be, like the, what what a good adult is made up of say um i do agree with in the sense of one of those um I suppose aspects is empathetic, non-judgmental, mm. um, and it's been proven, proven, and um, proven time and time again that having an empathetic listening ear or a good adult in your life, um, I think I mentioned this even the last day, buffers trauma. Yeah, you know, and it's not a coincidence if you look at some of the most difficult things in life, and if you see an empathetic response. Yeah, even to a global crisis, or you know, to anything. Yeah, it buffers it. Yeah. And it comes back to like connection, doesn't it? And I know we always talk about community and we think like I've often spoken about, I think COVID has, don't get me wrong, it's had many positive things as well in the sense of, I think it, you know, it's made things, I suppose this hybrid work and it's good, but it's also got bad elements. But the disconnect, I think it's fractured communities. Um, And I think, you know, that has fractured the likes of empathy within a community and, you know, like community grief, community, you know, um, mourning. Yeah. That kind of stuff. It's really interesting. I'm just thinking when you said about connection, empathy and COVID-19, the first place my mind kind of went when you said that was to New Zealand. Mm. And I remember during the lockdowns, um, Jacinda Ardern, she was communicating with the people of New Zealand through Instagram lives in her pyjamas. And what we had here in Ireland was very, very different. We had very, very serious press briefings and they were all very necessary. Um, yeah, but by fellas in a, in a fabulous suit, the cost yeah, of fortune, and that's, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was just going to go on to say. It's like that didn't click with me until just when you said it. And there's a reason. Like we were all at one stage looking to New Zealand and going, wow, their response was fantastic. And the public are really playing ball. And. I think it was because she connected. It was, it was the and empathetic she empathized, piece. Yeah. yeah. Whereas kind of our crowd were very big on the sympathy. Like, yeah, look, very, we know it's yeah. really bad, but sure, it is what it is kind and of thing. And you do your role now and there was a ye, there was a them, there was there. Yeah, there was us Pointing them, language, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, so that was really interesting. So I'm glad I never actually made that connection before. You're welcome. Um, so thanks for that, yeah. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, you might pick me up an extra two of those chocolate muffins from Lidl the next day as a thank you. No problem. I'm still dreaming about it. Yeah, for for any of our listeners that haven't tried the Lidl triple chocolate muffins, uh, it's a regular, I suppose, for us now at this stage if we're commuting somewhere. Um, but we, for the first time today, microwaved it and it's been a game changer. Game changer. Game changer. Yeah. Just to kind of, I suppose, mix up what we're talking about here today. <laughs> but, um, empathy yeah, and muffins. Empathy and muffins. Exactly. Um, but definitely Jacinda did it so well. Like, because I remember she just, she spoke with the people and people were writing in, weren't they, as well, commenting. Was well, it, it was Insta Live. It like, was Insta Live, so. yeah. Yeah. And I remember one specific part stood out for me was they have an alarm system that kind of rang for their lockdown thing. Like, I, I don't know, was it a curfew? They had to be in by a certain time and this alarm went. Um, almost like a 
an emergency alarm that everybody heard. But I remember her response to it when she came on Instagram live mm-hmm. and she said, I know it was really scary to hear that. I was scared, too. But it's well, OK. There you have it. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, she wasn't often, was it? Marion Gate was called at the time. No. Golf Gate, was it? Yeah. She, she wasn't often Golf Gate there having a party no. like. No. Um, yeah, interesting. I never put that together. So, yeah. And look how well the countries have, like, look how well her nation did Responded, as a result. Yeah. Was, yeah, thank you very much. Got tongue tied. But um, whereas, look here, it's kind of like the response, having that kind of cold authoritarian response, which is what we're used to in Ireland, mm. it very much has a them day very I hate that when I hear it yeah distance and yeah it's kind of like the whole vax anti-vax thing now it's been pointed and all go down that route now we'll get knocked off the air but yeah <laughs> no but I get what you're saying is that some people who maybe don't want to get vaccinated for whatever reason and then you have the people who will get vaccinated no matter what and it, it was made a very us versus them it was because the narrative is oh everyone should be vaccinated yeah and that's it yeah and I suppose, look, I'm, I have no problem saying it like I'm fully vaccinated mm. and will go and get my booster. But I think we need to empathize with, I think for, for somebody who doesn't want to get vaccinated, there there are reasons why nobody wakes up in the morning and just says, I'm not going to bother. That's it. Kind like of I, I know of people that, for example, they would have had someone that they knew that died mm. after a vaccine. Um, I'm not saying it was from the vaccine. Yeah, I'm no, just I saying, get what you're saying. Obviously, their mind connected one with the other. Yeah. And you can understand when you empathise with that person and say, I get why you mightn't have jumped straight away to get it, you know? Yeah, well, you don't know what kind of information that person has been given either or what kind of information that they're accessing um, because it's it's going to vary, you know, and it, your decision-making skills depend hugely on the information you have available to you at the time. Um, so, look, yeah, I think it's... And if you respond with empathy, you get a lot further. Mm. Um, then if you responded with sympathy oh you know I think it gets messy I think sympathy can very quickly turn into judgment oh yeah um, it can very quickly cross over that line absolutely like I think even at a very, very basic level going into shops going into everywhere <coughs> um, I think you can see people I've seen them so much like I found actually when lockdown lifted that a lot of people carried a lot of anger um, I felt that in my life like when I was going in shops I was noticing people kind of snapping that bit quicker and like no one was empathising with the creator behind the counter that was trying to make seven cappuccinos yeah. you know balance a saucer on her elbow and yeah. I, you know no one kind of said right this creator has been working right through this yeah um, is afraid to be fair is touching a cup that you've probably put your mouth to yeah. and stuff like that Um, so I just think that empathetic piece it's so relevant at the minute like it is really relevant Um, it's funny and I think Lockdown lifting as well um, is a really interesting kind of thing to to talk about because I know for some people all they wanted was for lockdown to lift and you can absolutely understand why. For others, they were maybe a little bit afraid for lockdown to lift. They they didn't know if they they weren't comfortable going outside and all this kind of thing. I know for myself, Mm. lockdown lifting was kind of a big deal to me um, as a kind of naturally introverted person. Um, I'm kind of both introverted and extroverted. I can be extroverted when I need to be. Yes. Um, but naturally very, very introverted. And so lockdown kind of afforded me this opportunity to be in my introverted 
kingdom at home with Netflix and with a controllable. No like, yeah. yeah. And so I've always had a thing with loud noises. I don't like loud noises. I don't like very busy, like the Crescent of Christmas is a nightmare for me. My palms are sweating and everything. Mm. I just don't enjoy it. I don't like it. Um, and I found that quite difficult coming out of lockdown and back into quite noisy environments with lots of people. Um, I found myself getting very, and it's just when you said the anger piece, I found myself getting quite frustrated a lot quicker. Yes. Um, before I used to have, say, a good tolerance That's built up. I was just going to say, it's like your tolerance bar yeah. had gone down. And it's super down now. It's like, I know after, if I have to go to a function or if I have to go to something, I know 25 minutes, I need to go home. I'm, I'm going to get a headache. I just don't like it mm. and I need to go home and recharge. Um, so yeah, I think there's loads of different elements to lockdown lifting, but like that with, with anything you kind of do, the more kind of you expose yourself to normality again, I think the more my tolerance anyway will start to build up again. Um, it's been a difficult time for people though. Um, the whole like, I think when lockdown lifted, like we've often spoken about it, our team even became busier than it's it been. And I don't think it's ever been that busy for those initial few weeks. And people would say, God, I can't, like, how is that possible? You'd think you'd imagine to be during lockdown, you'd mm-hmm. be that busy. Um, but I think it was like, I know, for example, an awful lot of people to cope throughout lockdown turned to alcohol and stuff, mm-hmm. um, which to me says there's a lot going on underneath. Yeah. You know, and let's face it, connection. There was no connection, very limited only over Zoom. So you couldn't really say, God, you look stressed today, Kayla. Cause yeah. You, were, you know, it was kind of. I think of it as kind of it. There was connection, but it was artificial connection. Yeah, and like connections an innate need, like. Yeah, it is, and I think as well. You know what? A lot of people always ask us. You know, like what you said, the suicide response team must have been so busy over lockdown. Did were you just inundated? And we always have to say to people because we thought that was going to be the case too. Um, but as you said, Katrina, it went really, really quiet throughout lockdown. So we started looking into it, and what we actually found was what the literature and the research says is that in times of global crisis, personal crisis comes down. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only thing we can kind of attribute that to, I don't know what other people would say, but for me, it's hugely around purpose. Um, I think lockdown gave people who maybe were feeling suicidal or were feeling very, very low, um, it gave people a new purpose all Mm. of a sudden. Maybe they didn't feel like a burden to their family anymore because you remember the time where they were saying young and healthy people should go and do the shopping. Yes. Um, You know, and whatever people without underlying illnesses um, could be going out more and could be exposed more. And I think that gave people an awful lot of purpose. The whole narrative of check in on your neighbours, check in on your family, call your friends. Like these were huge messages that kept being... um, I need it, I need it, yeah. Yeah, so I think it gave huge purpose. Um, or a new sense of purpose for some people who might have been lacking purpose. Um, so, yeah, there's like you said at the start of the episode, there's there's huge positives and obviously there's huge negatives as well. Um, but I think adapting mm. is a huge part that I think everybody universally has learned about throughout the pandemic. Adapting both ways. So adapting to like I'm a very social person. Like mm-hmm. I come back buzzing after yeah. meeting a load of people. Don't get me wrong dislike the crescent mm-hmm. uh, lovely shops and all but Monday morning 9am is my kind of vibe yeah. uh, other than that you wouldn't really be catching me there too often um, but I found it very difficult to adjust because I went from almost meeting like so many people every day mm-hmm. or you know the phone hopping or whatever to okay 
it's home now and yeah I might see people on Zoom yeah uh, now we were lucky with the response team side of it they kept us going we did but and we were busy but at the same time I do remember a certain part of the pandemic while we were in lockdown that I was quite happy and I was quite content because I was allowed in my little kingdom of mm. introversion um, and I do remember it was at times really difficult for you you struggled a little bit with the the lack of actually in person physical connection um, deadly I found it and do you know what I found it drained my energy not meeting people yeah because even delivering trainings like we love delivering trainings it's one of the things we're most passionate about we used to get such physical energy from people when mm-hmm. you deliver it and then you go to delivering it on a screen and you're getting no energy back yeah and you kind of you sit on a zoom for an hour and you come away needing a blood transfusion because <laughs> you're just like seriously it's you feel like everyone sucked your energy out and you've no way of getting it back yeah, I, do you know what? I think I'm in a huge minority there where I would gladly stay on Zoom. Oh, no. Um, just because for me, I know that if I need to, I can nip to the bathroom. I can turn off my camera. I'll be back in a second. There's no problem. Um, I'm also a Zoom reader. So while I'm in mm. a meeting and I'm, I'm looking at the screen, I also have another screen going. So while I'm physically there and I'm present in the meeting and I'm getting that box ticked, so I can do four other things. You know, you're so a Mark Zuckerberg, basically. No, I'm not. A, you no. are. I'm giving you 10% of my brain, which is what you're entitled <laughs> to. No. Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying. You can't tell me that when you're in certain meetings, your full attention is at that meeting. There's been some it hasn't. Yeah. But there's so some it has. When it's a really boring meeting and you think usually when you're in a physical meeting, oh my God, I wish this would end so I could do one of the 57 other things. Zoom lets you do the 57 other things while you're still in the meeting. It does, but is that good for people? Because when you switch off Zoom, is yeah. your brain still going and need to do 10 things together? I can't talk for anybody else, but it's an extremely good thing for me because I just got seven jobs done in one and I can go down and have a cup of coffee and relax for the evening now. It's fab. Don't you're, look at you're me unique. like that. <laughs> I know. Uh, no, I don't think you are. I think it's just, um, yeah, I definitely, I struggled with that adaption to kind of the quieter life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kind of found my solace. It was really nice. Um, and now... We kind of adjusted our own way back. But I know a lot of people have struggled. And like for me, I've suffered with anxiety for years. My predominant one would be OCD, agoraphobia. But I also have bits of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. But to see, I could see other people were socially anxious going into places. And to see other people then kind of up on top of them. It made me so defensive. I was like, yeah. like I saw two young fellas in the shop. And I nearly put them out through the front window. Because they were hovering behind this old lady. Who really, like you know, she was out for her one time in the week now. You know, yeah, she's and a bit nervous, a bit nervous yeah. and it makes you very protective, I find, of other people. Yeah. You know, um, there's so many elements to the whole there's pandemic. There's so many. Ele- and you know what? We weren't planning on talking about the pandemic at all, but it was just kind of when you brought it up, I was like, OK, yeah, there is that connection piece and there is definitely that empathy piece. Um, so, yeah, I think it taught people an awful lot about ourselves, whether you wanted to see it or not. Mm. Um it was there and I think now going back to some sort of normality and I use that word loosely um, it's kind of it's there in your mind and you have to be very conscious of okay I really liked this about the pandemic how do I make more time for this yeah people are more self-aware now I think and they're kind of saying right I appreciate I don't need to work as hard like Mm -hmm. I mean no one ever lies in their deathbed and said I wish I work more no they don't and the other thing I have noticed a lot of people saying is working from home highlighted how much time they wasted in the office. Not mm. that they wasted it, but 
how many distractions are in the office that they actually didn't realise. So their whole eight hour working day when taken home for people who have the privilege of having, say, an office and can be left alone to work. Some people it's just not possible. Um, But they found they were doing an eight hour working day in four. Yeah, now I will say, though, I've a major bee in my bonnet about the whole homeschooling and kids at home and mothers being expected to triple task and fathers trying to triple task. Yeah, yeah. Expe- because also you have kids who are needing their parents' attention. That's severing attachments, like where the parents are going to have to do my work. Mm-hmm. I can't give you that attention now. Yeah. Like, that's and for a whole different fault. day. But yeah. um, I just think there is the, those other elements to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like some people really cherish those kettle chats while you're waiting for the kettle to boil in the office with a colleague yeah some people really need that and it might be the only interaction they're going to get before they go home yeah I get you and what about the likes of domestic violence going on child abuse in homes that weren't spotted because you know let's face it kids weren't going to school Mm. Um, so there's all those different elements too look the more I think about it we're definitely going to be talking about the pandemic for many weeks (laughs) yeah I suppose if you were to put it all into one episode you'd be here all night um But yeah, I suppose empathy versus sympathy, just to wrap up, empathy is connecting and is feeling with and sympathy is feeling for. And it just, it doesn't work if you're going to sympathise with people about their issues or whatever they're going through. Um, Yeah, have you wanted to kind of? No, absolutely. I think Brene says it well when she says that empathy, you know, it drives the connection. Mm -hmm. Um, We see it every night that we we do do our work. Every night. Um, And when when you do it, it's something even with kids, you know, adult to child or vice versa it does you connect on a different level and I think true friendships kind of come from it as well yeah definitely so look I think we'll leave it there today um, hopefully in the next few weeks we'll have some guests lined up um, across different mm. areas of research and across different er- different professions and all that kind of good stuff um, so yeah for now we're over on Twitter at mental health underscore HR um, Katrina's over on trauma hour at trauma hour Um, And that's kind of it from us, isn't it? Yeah, pop us over any suggestions you might have or guests you might like to see on. Talk to you all soon. Bye.